Hey there, folks. We're kicking off today's episode with a cup of tea from the Nepal Tea Collective. Nepal Tea is a social enterprise based in New York that distributes the freshest organically grown teas to different parts of the world directly from smallholder farmers in the beautiful country of, you guessed it, Nepal. You can join us for a cup of tea and be part of the global impact they're creating by visiting nepalteacollective.com. That's nepalteacollective.com. <laughs> Yikes, my cup of tea is already getting cold. So why don't you join me and hop into today's episode? A story can only travel as far as it is told. Without people to share them, an audience to hear, and a platform to deliver, stories about who we are and where we come from can get lost forever. In today's episode, we are joined by Spotify's Managing Director for Sub-Saharan Africa, Jocelyn Muhutu-Remi, who leads the enablement of stories from podcasters and musicians that are shared and experienced across the continent. We dig deep into the link between our heritage as a continent and the narratives we tell and are told about Africa, as well as the emerging technologies at the helm of our tech-savvy culture. Jocelyn brings more than 20 years of experience in media distribution and extensive immersion across Africa to highlight where we came from and where we are going as a land of stories and how to tell each of ours unapologetically. If you are in media or are building any platform involved in sharing people's stories, this episode will help you understand the great responsibility you have and how to navigate this effectively. If you are an artist, musician, storyteller, or anyone else out there really and are curious about how to harness the power of your narrative and communicate it effectively, this is exactly the masterclass to help you craft your authentic story. Let's hop right in. Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon. Depending on where you're joining us from today, we want to say a big thank you for tuning in to another Boardroom Banter episode you're joining me, Sean Karanja, in the boardroom. I've got my co-host Boniface Omina here as well. As for me, my name is Sean. I am a lover of all things ed tech. I'm a consultant and entrepreneur in that space as well as fintech. And above all, we love to get in here and have conversations with people who are movers and shakers, not just on the continent, but beyond. I've got my co-host here, Boniface, in the room as well. Boniface, go ahead and say it to the people. Hey, how you guys doing? We're back in the boardroom. I think you guys are going to be seeing more of me and Sean co-hosting together. But yeah, we're up here. We're excited. You guys are going to believe who we have on the podcast today. One of the things that we know for a fact is that a large number of people who tune into our boardroom banter episodes, etc., are actually signing in from Spotify accounts and our Spotify users. Shout out to you guys because, you know, You've seen the light. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite platforms. I've got all of my playlists on there. You could look me up on Spotify, Sean Karanja. I've got fantastic playlists. I, I like to think that I'm I'm a black leather rival in terms of, you know, my DJing skills. And anyone who I've driven in a car or, you know, hosted at a party or whatever, you guys know that, you know, I'm, 
I'm a lover of the ox. So if you put me on the ox, I am definitely not getting off. <laughs> now, Bonnie, Bonnie tell, tell us, where, where, where are we mentioning Spotify like this? You know, where are we leaving these guys with cliffhangers and, and a bit of suspense around it? Well, what's up? What, what's, what, what does Spotify have to do with what we're about to talk about in the boardroom? Well, Sean, if I may volunteer, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, I'm going to just guess who we have on the podcast today. We have Jocelyn Muhutu Remy. Hi, Jocelyn. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Hi, Sean. Hi, Boniface. Um, I'm really honored to be here. And uh, I appreciate that you pronounced my name absolutely correctly. Thank you. This is kicking off to a beautiful start, Sean. <laughs> Jocelyn joins us with a stellar career and background of over 20 years of experience in media, specifically working in business development, content creation, journalism, digital skills training, and anything that relates to building partnerships between media and tech or news and information. And she's got a specialty with figuring out content distribution for some of the world's best media networks, um, you know, across social media, um, television, video streaming, news platforms, you name it. Jocelyn has probably got experience in that. Now, Jocelyn is an incredible storyteller with an in-depth understanding and personal network in the media industry in Africa, France, and beyond. She's multilingual and she's got lots of cool interests that we will dig into. But above all, Jocelyn is from Rwanda and we simply love that. Shout out to all our Rwandans in the house. So during the day, she acts as the managing director of Spotify for Sub-Saharan Africa. And through that platform, she's able to empower lots of people like ourselves to be able to tell stories and amplify our impact through music, arts, etc. We're going to hear a bit more from her about that. And we just love that, you know, a global platform is being represented by someone who looks like us, speaks like us. You know, earlier on, Jocelyn was was even dabbling in a, in a bit of Swahili there. We had a short conversation about that. Jocelyn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yes, I am an East African through and through a Nairobian for many, many years. Uh, Nairobi is the city of my heart. Um, an East African, uh, an Eastern African, uh, because I'm from Rwanda, but I was born and raised in Ethiopia. Uh, lived in Nairobi for uh, over a decade, uh, got married there, had my children there. Yes, uh, I'm absolutely a sister of yours, uh, more like an auntie now at this point. <laughs> uh, and like you guys, I'm also very um, Pan-African and passionate about uh, our continent. So Jocelyn, tell us about you, right? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What excites you? And, you know, who, who is Jocelyn for all of us out there to, to get to know you a bit better? Ah, it's so uh, interesting. Um, but in terms of my career, it didn't go at all as I imagined it would uh, when I was your age. Um, uh, in my early 20s, I had a limited set of skills, uh, unlike uh, 
your crew, uh, I think you, from what I understand, you seem to have, you know, a variety of skills, uh, uh, entrepreneurship and uh, this and that. I actually was very good in a very limited number of, um, of ways. Uh, I was quite a literary kind of person, uh, very good at languages, uh, not great at maths. So um, I really thought that my career options were quite limited. I was thinking maybe a conference interpreter or um, a translator or a, a book editor. And I ended up being um, a journalist. Uh, and journalism really felt like a, a job that, was, that I was genetically prepared for. Um, so, uh, I mean, we can go into the details of, uh, of that, but in short, my point here is to say that sometimes you get in, go into a certain direction in terms of your career, uh, but uh, changes happen that really uh, you would never have imagined. And that's what happened to, to me, let's say five, six years into my journalism career where I um, moved into the business side of Reuters, which is the company I used to work for. And that uh, had a life-changing impact because uh, I suddenly realized that uh, I could develop business skills and that took me uh, out of the world of news into the world of entertainment at uh, various companies, including Viacom and Disney, uh, and later into tech, and now I'm here at Spotify um, uh, and you're asking what I do, what excites me every day. It's a number of things. One is um, working towards uh, taking the African, you know, our African cultures um, global. That is one thing. Uh, another is really developing uh, the streaming industry on the continent and giving access to millions of users to cultures from all over the world, um, giving access to uh, creators of all kinds like yourselves, podcasters, musicians, uh, giving them a platform um, to succeed, to be heard. It's also about uh, contributing to a change of narrative about our, our continent through the content that is on our podcast, but also on our, sorry, on our platform, but also by demonstrating that our continent is, uh, provides uh, business potential that, you know, sometimes we uh, don't expect, right? Uh, yes, you, you, a platform like, uh, like ours, um, can uh, develop a solid business here. And that is something that I'm really keen to demonstrate to the world. Uh, we're not just um, a place of, um, uh, you know, we're not just recipients, we're also givers uh, to the rest of the world. I absolutely love what I'm hearing, Jocelyn. And, and firstly, the fact that your career didn't turn out as expected. I think, I think mine is also going in the same exact direction. <laughs> <laughs> if you asked me a couple of years ago, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be here hosting a podcast and in the mm -hmm. events and entertainment space, generally, right? I was one of those very rigid and conventional people in high school. Yes, entrepreneurship was, was, in my, was in my head, but I think if it wasn't for the people around me when I finished school, I may have gone, I may have gone to a more conventional path of entrepreneurship. But I think what I'm hearing is, you know, there were, there were different moments in time 
over the course of your early career life where certain decisions really took you leaps and bounds ahead, right? And I think for most of our listeners, just being in this sort of space where we're trying to figure out whether the next decision is the right decision. Mm-hmm. There's, there's this model that, that we learned in mentorship a while ago, where it's changing the mindset in which you approach opportunities, not looking at things from good and bad, but good and better, better and best. I'd be curious to know, Jocelyn, when early on in your career, what were some of the options that were available to you? Because journalism seems, you know, if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't necessarily a conventional path that was viewed by society, at least, at least sort of from the stories that we hear from our parents and and our um, our older our older siblings. How how did you approach those decisions? What were some of the considerations that you had for yourself or or aspects that really influenced your decision making at that time? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I think the first thing to do is a proper skills assessment, but really deep in your heart, right? When I say skills assessment, it's not just necessarily taking a sheet of paper and going, uh, uh, you know, this uh, writing down all your skills. It's just knowing from inside you what are the things that I have absorbed so far that can be turned into uh, a profession. Just to give you a couple of examples, when I was uh, very young, uh, my mom um, was working as a secretary and she needed help with uh, preparing herself for a promotion. And uh, in order to do that, she would ask me to read to her from these documents that she brought from the office. She worked at the Organization of African Unity. So this meant that I would read all these reports about um, uh, situations across Africa, in Zimbabwe, in what was called at the time frontline countries, countries that were fighting for their independence. Uh, so one day I would read something about, um, you know, Angola, the next day something uh, about Cote d'Ivoire, et cetera, et cetera. Without knowing it, I was really being immersed into something extremely Pan-African. And of course, I did not realize how unique that was and how helpful that would be later in my life, right? Um, she worked for this organization and that meant in practice that you know a, a typical uh, dinner table um, conversation with her friends would be with her somali friend her senegalese friend her malawian friend etc cetera, etc cetera, right so from a young age you are deep into these things um we also, uh, Ethiopia at the time was a communist country and we didn't have access to a lot of kids' books. So I used to read things that were not actually very age appropriate. Um, a lot of like p- political stuff, magazines like uh, um, uh, Jeune Afrique, which is like Africa Reports, you know, that, that kind of political sort of publication and from a young age, right? So, so fast forward, you know, a decade later, when I looked at my skill set, I, I thought, you know, one thing you know for sure, you didn't learn this at school, but one thing you're good at is understanding Africa. Uh, another thing you're good at, and this is more, you know, uh, transmitted genetically maybe, or also from my environment, is languages. 
Uh, I spoke perfect Amharic, English and French were everywhere, you know. So realizing that that was also a skill set that could be utilized, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what this means is that if you are uh, today a 17 year old, you grew up, you're growing up in Nakuru, for example, I'm just giving a random example. And uh, your parents are, uh, dad is in farming and mom is a teacher. That is really an environment that is extremely rich in, lear in, in learnings. You learn about business, basic business skills. You learn about the, the unpredictability of, uh, of agriculture. You, you see it in your own life. Maybe the, this month uh, you're doing very well because harvest was great, but then next year there was a drought and not, you know all of those things. These things that you take for granted uh, actually can be harnessed and put forward when you're older, right? Um, so it's really about crafting a story, first of all, for yourself and then to the world, right? So really putting these things forward. Um, uh, um, an upbringing that sounds very common, like the example I gave you, uh, dad has a farm, mom is a teacher, we live in Nakuru, this story is actually quite extraordinary, depending on how you harness all of that learning, right? So, um, so, so to go back to your question, uh, th that is the first thing I would say. Really, be fully, fully aware of what of what you have accumulated over, over time. Um, and then the the second thing is that developing that instinct of seizing the moment, right? Um, so here I was uh, being a journalist at Reuters in Nairobi, doing well and loving it, and really not envisaging any other thing. I thought this was my, you know, uh, uh, my destiny and I was happy with it, no problem, right? <clears throat> and then uh, someone who was in a business position left the company, and there was nothing to indicate that I was suitable to replace that person. They were very experienced, they were doing, they were in a business function, but I saw that there were some, some skills that I could bring to the role, even though I did not have the full skill sets that that person had. The, the role was to sell Reuters news to African media um, across the continent. I didn't have sales skills. However, I did know the product and I knew Africa really well. So out of the three things that are required, I had two. So I put myself forward uh, and uh, nobody laughed at me, which was surprise number one, <laughs> because they could have said <laughs> like really seriously, I mean, what do you know? Um, you want to replace this really senior person and actually, what happened is that whoever was making this decision thought, yeah, let's recruit at a junior level for this role and let's harness what she has and we'll teach her the rest. So essentially seizing the moment is uh, really essential. Um, yeah, I think these two things, because you know, the one thing I will not tell you is have a career plan, um, uh, uh, unless unless you really have a passion, you know, like, I don't know, you want to sing opera. In that case, yes, have a career plan. 
uh, start thinking, okay, how can I become a, an opera singer? I first need to take opera singing lessons and then, you know, like that, right? But a few of us, unfortunately, uh, have this kind of very specific, rare talents. Um, lastly, just on this point, cultivating your unique selling proposition. Um, we, and actually, it goes back to that first point. Find in your life what makes you special um, uh, and cultivate that. And it can be, it does not need to be those incredible programming skills. And of course, if you have those, then fantastic. But who you are, your own story, your background are often enough if you know how to harness what, what is rare in it and interesting and unique. Yeah. You know, I really like how you've mentioned about having to put yourself out there, having to sell yourself. And that's something that we here in the boardroom have to do all the time, right? We've got a podcast, we've got potential guests that we want to put on it. And a lot of the time we have to communicate what our value is, who we are, uh, why this platform should be something of interest to a potential guest. So there's a lot of selling and storytelling that, you know, we, we, we have to do. And I'm curious, right? from your early days in journalism where you had to go out and collect stories, you know, on the streets in person to times later on when now you're working in distributing these stories. So curating and distributing them across different platforms. What are some of the lessons that you've learned about narratives and what it really takes to be able to, you know, piece together stories, tell them in ways that really matter and and you know really do justice to the people and places where these stories come from yeah sean storytelling is life really um it, it can really impact so much you know let, let, let's not talk about business and career and all of that for just one minute but just let's talk even even about personal well-being right um the story you tell yourself uh, about yourself can really have a major impact on how you conduct your life, right? So, so if you uh, deliberately uh, choose to craft a story based on fact, of course, um, uh, about, you know, to craft a personal narrative that is one of, uh, of progress of vanquishing um, forces that were negative of, um, uh, of of goodness emerging from from things that you do when you craft something uh, like that a story for yourself that you then tell other people that are that is um, that inspires you and inspires others uh, it really takes you into a trajectory that is uh, uh, much more positive than it would have been if you wallowed in a in a negative, you know, in negative self perception, and all of that comes from storytelling to yourself and to, and to others. Um, in business now and in work, at work, etc. Your own story or the story in my case, uh, I've always been in spaces where I needed to tell an African story that made counterparts believe um, 
uh, in our potential, in uh, the the vast uh, nuance. I mean, the nuance of this continent, the vastness of it, the 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 richness and diversity of it, really bringing it to the fore at all times, uh, so that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, bosses feel that it makes sense to invest in uh, my team, in my activities. Um, so yes, learning the art of uh, good storytelling is essential, but it, it has to be based for it to be authentic on knowledge. So before all of this, actually, really what I should have said is that Quite often I see this trait in young people. Um, there isn't enough deliberate effort made in acquiring knowledge, uh, breadth of knowledge, maybe depth, right? Some, a lot of people know a lot about one thing, but not enough breadth, right? Um, as a young African in your early twenties, uh, really, there shouldn't be gaps like um, as simple as not knowing all the capitals of our continent. Uh, uh, and actually, I will test you guys uh, a little later. <laughs> yes, so um, so good narrative uh, uh, control comes from knowledge. And knowledge can only be accumulated to a deliberate uh, process of accumulating it through reading, through being relentlessly inquisitive. What does it mean in practice beyond the usual of reading as much as you can, et cetera, et cetera. It's also about when you are visiting your grandmother, that really boring activity when you are in your twenties, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but here's a person to whom you can ask questions about life in the fifties. What did it mean to be a colonized Kenyan? I mean, uh, and you might discover all sorts of things. Maybe your grandma was fighting against the colonialists or maybe uh, she wasn't, but she has very good insights about what it meant to not be fully free. Um, and, and that will allow you to like reconstitute a little bit of the history of your own country, right? Uh, when was independence again? Is it 1961, 59, 63? Who was Jomo Kenyatta exactly? I mean, um, this should become a systematic thing. So storytelling, good storytelling cannot happen without good uh, knowledge accumulation. So that's uh, the, the first point. Um, you also asked, I think about how narratives change and uh, before, okay, I have a, a, like a certain date in mind. So before, let's say the early 2000s, right? The narrative on Africa it was extremely uh, unnuanced. We didn't control our nar narrative at all. It was all the agenda and the storytelling about Africa was really externally controlled. And that's when you saw what is now considered a, you know, a, a despisable cliche about the continent that uh, never progresses, is only about hungry children with flies in their eyes and, and wars and famines and, and all of that. One big turning point for me was um, Binyang Vanga's 
Wanaina, Nyavanga Wanaina's essay. I literally just read that. I read that thing three days ago. (laughs) Quite literally. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, well, tell me what, what, uh, how did you feel about it? So I was, I had to share it with a couple of my friends and get their thoughts. And one thing that struck me is how Manifest didn't share it with me, just saying. <laughs> it's okay, continue. I'll share, I'll share some of this. But I like how bounder, boundaryless his communication was, right? And I think the, the question I had, and maybe you can touch on this after you finish your, your point, is I feel like he wasn't constrained by the social pressures that are there nowadays to be politically correct, right? There's a lot of fear on our platforms of being canceled for saying this or being denied opportunities for saying that. And now because access to platforms such as this weren't as widespread at the time, I feel like it enabled, sort of made it more comfortable to to speak about this. But I like how satirically humorous he was um and we'll share this for the audiences in the in the description section but carry on um just lean uh, yes he really used his art- artistic license to um you know through humor and satire really mock uh, the international uh, n- narrative about africa right and that was really game-changing nobody had done this as effectively as as he did and that really brought about um, a big transformation uh, in how um, African intellectuals t- think about uh, nar- narrative on the continent, right? A lot has been written and said and criticized, et cetera, since. Um, and that has led uh, also with the advent of social media, et cetera, to uh, a situation where Africans now control the narrative much more strongly, are much more reactive to uh, cliches and stereotyping. Uh, you may remember, you know, you guys were still very young <laughs> um, when Westgate uh, happened, and then later when um, uh, the terrible uh, drama, the t- terrible situation, uh, terrorist attack that happened at Ducit Hotel in Nairobi. <laughs> Uh, Kenya and the Kenyan Twitterati did not give any peace to the international media that were not respectful or full of cliches, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how narrative changes. It's when the owners of the story take ownership of it. Um, uh, so, uh, however, I'd, I'd like to, to put another uh, uh, some point forward. Um, I feel that now, two decades later, after the initial release of that uh, seminal text by Binyabanga, 20 years on, um, I don't think it's appropriate for us to still be so focused on how we are perceived, perceived by the rest of the world. It feels like we are still seeking validation from the world like us, um, please world, see what we're doing, please world, we are great, can't you see, etc., etc. rather than focusing on bringing the change that we actually do need. Um, it also means that we spend a lot of time on crafting our PR, and um, for many of us who live uh, 
you know, uh, pr privileged in our cities, uh, etc. We often get irritated when there's a focus on poverty in our countries. Well, there is poverty in our countries. We should be denouncing it mm -hmm. as much as the international press is. Why aren't we shocked by it and putting it forward and saying this has to stop, right? So, uh, so my, my point here is to say, let's focus less about how the world perceives us and let's focus on our own progress. The perception will change or, or not, but should we care? No, we should care about um, what we're doing uh, for ourselves. Wow, wow, Jocelyn. I think, I think you're really hitting the nails, the multiple nails on the head <laughs> today. And this is, this is, I think it's exactly what we're looking for from this, um, Jocelyn. I think some of the work that you were, you were involved in, before that, we had uh, one of the ladies on the continent who's doing some fantastic work with, um, with creating and, and driving such platforms as Mimi Kalinda, um, the group CEO at Africa Communications Media Group. And we had her on the podcast. Sorry? Mm -hmm. Uh, no, the amazing Mimi, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we had on the podcast a couple of months ago and she was sharing how she went about where the, the motivation for her company came from, right? And it was noticing how multinationals are expanding to the continent and marketing their products very generally to Africa, right? Not understanding how different and unique all of the African countries are and our stories, right? And so she came in with that solution of, of, of localizing it and 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 shaping this narrative in a very authentic way. Some of the work that you were greatly involved in when you were previously at, at Facebook, now, now, now known as Meta, was the fight against misinformation and, and news integrity, right? With, with what you've just spoken about, being able to tell our own stories and harness our own stories and, and take more ownership of not just telling the story, but the follow-up of, okay, the story has been told, let's follow it up with action. How would, you, how would you suggest creators on the continent, right? Whether it's on the Spotify platform or other platforms can navigate some of the landmines that come with the misinterpretation that can be put with, with the, the content that we put out, right? With, with being able to tell an authentic story and take into account the people, the characters in the story and invite everyone into the conversation, right? Be as inclusive as possible and still be able to tear away from misinformation. I think, I think knowledge is one aspect that you spoke about, but just shaping, shaping these stories and leveraging these platforms while maintaining the integrity. Mm. And that, that is such a broad and, and difficult topic. Um, the first thing I would say is uh, that uh, with utilizing these platforms for the dissemination of information comes a huge responsibility. And um, one of those responsibilities is obviously uh, factfulness, right? Uh, and uh, separating oneself 
from an agenda. A lot of misinformation and uh, lack of integrity comes from pushing a certain agenda and, and therefore propagating lies in order to serve your agenda, right? Um, so uh, so really the, the fight against uh, uh, these issues can only come from uh, more people uh, learning uh, how to do storytelling um, through facts, right? Uh, and for that, uh, it means uh, just more work in gathering the facts, um, which can sometimes be a challenge uh, in Africa. As you know, uh, across our continent, we have a big problem around uh, statistics, data, um, how do you even start verifying anything, right? Um, verification of information with all the goodwill in the world uh, is really, really very, very difficult. And I know this from the from talking quite extensively with uh, organizations whose job is to help uh, the news industry verify information. Uh, in other places, in Europe, for example, uh, you know, in order to verify statistics or, or uh, uh, any information, all you need to do is go onto a ministry's website and everything will be there or access to verified facts is, is, um, uh, is much easier. Um, so so uh, developing those skills that are not natural not everyone can um uh you know can just go out there and disseminate information no it's a skill it's a profession right um so our media schools journalism schools etc uh really need to prioritize this and upskill themselves in a way that uh, that allows for for just better you know information quality right um and it also means, you know, that, that for people like you uh, who have, you know, started this great initiative, the, the responsibility on your shoulders is much bigger than it would be if you were, say, I don't know, British, uh, young British people, right? Because a lot hinges of, on, on people like you uh, to deliberately go out there and uh, find, uh, you know, facts or factful information to disseminate yeah so i mean we could talk about this for for hours and hours but um broadly speaking that's what i would say about uh about this topic you know it's interesting jocelyn what you speak of there reminds me of a ted talk that chimamanda adichie was on and it was called the danger of a single story basically what she was putting across was that a lot of times narratives and opinions or stories come across from a singular view of something or a one-dimensional view of really what's actually happening and you've not taken into consideration all the multiple facets that go behind this thing and just like you said there's a lot of nuance behind our continent for example that if we're not careful about could be painted over with one brush for example, we here at the podcast have a big responsibility, right, when it comes to actually, for example, taking into consideration and demonstrating Jocelyn's nuance, right? Who is she? She's not just any other 
you know, executive who's joined us on the podcast, or she doesn't just work at any other random uh, tech startup, right? We have to dig into who you are and really, you know, ask you questions that would allow you to flourish in your identity and actually showcase that to people who are listening. So as young Africans with a platform, it really challenges me and the team to just be conscious of, you know, how, how we are portraying people's stories and, and just the great responsibility that we have in that regard. <laughs> you mentioned something about grandmothers and, you know, that that reminds me of mine. You know, I really think it would be cool if we all sat down with people of that generation and simply just recorded their stories. You know, they're super fascinating. And recently I was at my grandmother's place. This was during the most recent presidential inauguration. Shout out to Kenya and democracy for that win. Um, we've got a new president now. Good luck to him. We've got a lot, he's got a lot of work to do. Uh, and so I was, I, was t- I was sitting down with my grandmother and we're just talking about how things have changed right? The conversation was around change and, you know, between their times and, you know, what they've been able to experience up till now. A good example of that is something as simple as family dynamics. So growing up, she told me how, you know, she had multiple step siblings because her father was polygamous. And, you know, of course, in our generation, we have a very one-dimensional view of what a family setup should look like. And, you know, what some of these terms really mean, you know, polygamy, um, monogamy, et et cetera. We've got got really skewed views of what that looks like. And, And, you know, without understanding her context, we can't really explain why people did it. And so, you know, when she really broke it down, she was just like, you know, it, it reaches a point where, you know, in the homestead, these, these all this maize growing, uh, goats to be tended to, etc. And sometimes you just need an extra hand. And so she was explaining how, you know, your wife would even suggest to you, hey, you know, this, this, this farm of ours is really growing fast. And yeah, we need extra hands. Uh, you know, well, how, how about you? You get a little extra, extra someone else, you know, onto the team. And so a lot of times the expansion of the family was due to your wealth, you know, in cattle, in um, land expanding. And so, you know, these marriages were, were, were seen just from a very different standpoint and were very supported from within the family itself. And she'd explain that her step siblings were considered her own siblings and you know even up to a point of inheritance later on when she explained that you know um step siblings and her siblings those really no like big divide right they were one big happy family and jocelyn this is just a small sliver of you know the larger context and and, and culture that was taking place at that time imagine if we asked about you know what did what did politics look like at the time what did the nature of work and attitude around that look like? What was our relationship like with the earth and and farming and and things and things like those? You know, so I'm really curious to see, you know, how how can technology allow us to literally cement some of these stories into our culture? Because, you know, in the past we've been very oratory in terms of how we pass down um, knowledge, etc. And and I'm really curious, you know, with the with some of the work that you've done, for example, at Meta, and uh, you know now now at Spotify, 
how are you seeing technology playing a part in actually you know us conveying some of these narratives and and cementing them into our history but you see also looking at the other side of it of are, are these are these platforms and 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 tech also taking us away from our roots in the sense of alienating us away from our history or you know giving us more of a of a westernized um you know narrative about who we really are at the end of the day how how are you seeing tech enabling us to to do either of those things ah you know you've really put the finger on some major uh gaps with your grandmother's uh story and by mentioning chimamanda uh as well um uh, nuance is not there and we are culprits as well. I mean, we Africans, right? In the sense that often in criticizing, you know, the narrative from um, from the West uh, looking at us, we put forward another unnuanced narrative around the positive, pos- positive, you know, positivity of uh, the African growth story. And we don't want to hear anything else because we, we, we all about progress, right? Um, so the, the, that is a gap that has now been really beautifully uh, uh, identified and articulated by, by many thinkers. But one, another gap that I, I really don't see discussed a lot, and I hope that one day I engage in that kind of thinking, um, is around observing our societies from a sociological point of view. When you read anything about African societies, it always has an anthropological angle, which again brings like an external lens to it. Um, If there is any discussion around polygamy, for example, which is what you were mentioning, it's very much as if an ethnologist was looking at it from the outside, taking notes, et cetera. The the nuance of of what is in people's hearts, what what does it mean on a day-to-day basis to live with a co-wife? What is what is our modern Africa sociology? How do we relate to to work, to mental health? Depression is there. How is it treated? Um, in in many parts of the world, we see deep thinking about the future of work. What is the future of work for a Nairobian? How is it evolving? How is technology influencing it? Um, uh, how is modern life impacting societies? Uh, an example, if you live in a neighborhood of uh, Nairobi, a middle-class neighborhood like, let's say, Buruburu, or the equivalent in Lagos, um, what, what, what is the social fabric, fabric like, right? Uh, when you go home every evening, what is the, do you speak to your neighbors? And how has that changed over the past year? Anyway, what I mean to say here is that not in, uh, enough is being done around studying our societies uh, in a contemporary manner that is not about ethnology or anthropology, but really sociological, contemporary, modern, tech-driven uh, sociological observations, right? And you're asking about our uh, technology. Well, it allows something fundamental, which is control over (laughs) storytelling and exploration, right? So all of these things that I'm describing, we can do it. 
we can, you know, one of you or all of you can start something about being young in a uh, in Nairobi and what it means uh, on a daily basis. What does hustling mean? What does what are, what are the aspirations, the dreams of uh, of the youth? I tell you, this is the kind of insights that is important for ourselves so that we understand our societies much better than we do. And we give our societies the, the way, you know, it, the one reason we don't do this enough is, is because it's, it's as if we don't respect ourselves and are not interested in our own modern being, right? Um, so a lot more needs to be done for that. Academia needs to invest in our self-study uh, much more. Um, but we don't need to wait for academia. We can do it uh, ourselves. And you know what? That is how narrative will change. And already we're seeing small signs, right? Uh, not to go uh, back to the Western gaze again, but <laughs> I'm gonna give you a couple of examples that is showing that by controlling our lives and doing our own things, even how we are perceived externally is changing. So for example, recently there was a, an apartment in Nairobi uh, that belongs to a, 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 you know, a local designer that was featured in one of the leading uh, decor and lifestyle publications in the world called Apartment Therapy. And what was really so satisfying about this feature was that this apartment was described exactly the way this magazine regularly describes, you know, uh, homes in Paris, Acapulco, or you know, or uh, Tokyo. Right? The apartment was described, you know, for its design, his its interesting choices of color, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Really, there was nuance, there was no cliche. Uh, this was a contemporary 21st century African city, uh, African home that was described in the most neutral way. What we're looking for is neutrality and nuance, right? Uh, but we first need to, to, uh, to talk about ourselves in that way for others to perceive us with that same neutrality and nuance and uh, etc. Yes, and yes, tech, uh, allows for that because you can just use these platforms and put uh, content and stories, etc., out there that um, th that utilize what I've just described: uh, nuance, fascination with ourselves. Yes, please, let's be interested in our own stories, right? In our own selves, and I like that fascination yeah. with ourselves. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I I love that idea that you came about about these uh, these conversations with older people. Really, I, can I encourage you guys to do this? Gather your grandmothers uh, as long yeah. as they. Yes. <laughs> you know, I even I even thought about it actually. I, I've even given it a name. You know, the Roots series. I was about to pitch it in the group WhatsApp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and one thing to be careful about is not to oppose life when they were young to your life now and be like you know not, not that kind of a narrative but more like uh I, I, you might actually discover that uh, these uh, the people in your lives that you thought were very 
conservative, uh, not risk takers, etc., you might realize that actually they've been modern for a very long time. Uh, women were m- more empowered that you than you imagine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. I, I love that you said we shouldn't create opposition in terms of the, the two narratives or contexts because a lot of what you see out there has to do with, you know, there being a them versus us or black and white uh, approach to to w- when comparing two different times or two different peoples. There's a lot of othering. The stories that I really like are about a we, you know, about an us and how are we interacting with each other and how are we collectively understanding who we are so definitely you know we'll 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 work around it and and see what we can put together and send to you since we are in the phase of pitching ideas for your podcast (laughs) can i suggest another one around uh around our cities right what were the people who designed them what were what were they they thinking and and how could our cities improve right um uh, right now, progress is seen only in the length, with the length of infrastructure, right? Let's br- build yet another bridge, another road. And of course, we need those. But often it comes at big costs and big social costs. A neighborhood that made sense where people could talk to each other, uh, where you had little, you know, dukas to quickly buy some uh, Fanta or a couple of sweets. All of these are things are disappearing. People are moving farther and further away, further and further away in these uh, soulless suburbs. Where is the thinking about how social the social fabric is being potentially destroyed by infrastructure growth that does not take that that does not put humans people at the center? Anyway, uh, yeah, that that kind of thing. <laughs> I really love that. Ed. To anyone listening, you know, we are super open to uh, having a corporate partner or, you know, if Jocelyn, you yourself, you know, you'd like to to support us in that regard, we, we definitely wouldn't be upset. <laughs> you know, definitely we're putting this out there into, into the universe or whoever else is listening to this. Um, you know, and, and basically, you know, this podcast itself is is just a reflection of, you know, intentions that were were spoken and acted upon and just just put out there and that we've worked towards. Uh, I I don't know if I've I don't know if I've told guys this story yet um, about the podcast, but I'd actually started uh, a, a little podcast. So back back in the day, you know, I thought that hey, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this thing and um, you know, I'd I'd even come up with a, a name. Right, so I'd, I think I'd call it something like sleeves rolled up, you know, something about let let's get into work. Um, yeah, and so I had literally recorded it, you know, with with my earphones, and you know, I'd gotten a, a a guest onto it, and so yeah, I mean, like it it, it started off small and um and whatever, and you know, eventually now we've gotten to the point that we are at now. So thank God for that, but um. We are also getting to the end of this episode. And so one of the things that we like to do as we just wrap up the conversation is what we call the elevator section. So picture this. We've just come from having our fantastic chat in the boardroom banter boardroom at our headquarters, you know, with our our nice decor as we can see there behind Boniface. And just as you're going to the elevator, one of our 
eager intern stops you and gets into the elevator with you as you're going on your way down and is about to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. So, Jocelyn, are you are you ready? Ta-dam. Okay. So, the first question is if you were to have a billboard placed in the busiest street in the world or any any city of your choosing, right? It's a plain billboard and you can write whatever you want on it for people to see. What would you, Joycelyn, have written on that billboard? Mm, gosh, you guys should have prepared me for this. Um, I believe in Africa. Love that one. Love that one. <laughs> yes, except that, you know, uh, it wouldn't make sense to the people who are not African, but... <laughs> Uh, but that's that's what comes to mind right now, right? Uh, uh, another idea would be around kindness. It would be kindness works. Love that. We'll get you a billboard, Jocelyn, sponsored by Bedroom Banter very soon. Once we get our money up, hey, we're spelling it on you first. Um, <laughs> next question. You mentioned that you have a 23-year-old-ish daughter and the conversations that we were just having on on some of the cultural differences and generational differences. What's one thing that your 23-year-old daughter has really challenged you on with regards to generational difference and you've had to unlearn? Um, My kids really challenge me uh, all the time around um, gender issues around uh, politics, I think I see myself as liberal. They think I'm hopelessly, uh, you know, not left-wing enough. Um, uh, Yes, this generation is very politicized in a way that, uh, that I admire. I think you're more likely to bring change to the world than my generation was uh, in, in, in many ways. Um, yeah, so uh, these things, really clarity around uh, acceptance of others, uh, self-acceptance uh, and less tolerance for, for what isn't right, right? Uh, so that those are some of the things I'm learning from my children. <laughs> All right. So on to the next question. If you were to recommend one book that all of our listeners should read within their lifetimes, what book would that be? Hmm. Um, there, there is a book by an author. It's not an African author, even though, as you know, Africa is the purpose of my life. This author is actually Italian. His name is Primo Levi. And it's a book about how uh, he was incarcerated uh, during the Second World War in a concentration camp. It is a haunting, haunting, haunting story. Um, The title escapes me right now, but if you Google Primo Levi, L-E-V-I, you'll find it easily. And it's, it's a book that really touches on how you become completely dehumanized and broken 
by institutional violence. And um, many of us uh, have gone through institutional violence through police brutality, our governments, etc. cetera. Um, uh, you know, this happens every day. Uh, and that the, the daily description of life in that concentration camp is something that I will never, ever forget. Is, is it the, the black hole of Auschwitz? No. Um, not. The survivor? Uh, if I was a man, I think that's that's the one, that's the title. Mm. Oh, if, if this is a man. Yeah, If This is a Man by Primo Levi. Yes. Yes, it's here. Yeah. Yo, that gave, me, that gave me chills. Like, I'm definitely going to look for those books. Um, Jocelyn, I think we have... I think we have two more questions left. I'll give one and then Sean, Sean can, can go for his. Over the course of your career, you've worked for some of the companies that have really shaped culture, right? Walt Disney, Facebook, Spotify, and you, you, you've seen this grow, you have grown with the industry. What's the most important thing that you've learned about yourself through your work? You speak very passionately about all of these different issues that we've touched on, and I can sense a very deep self-awareness. So this question shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> but what's the most important thing you've learned about yourself through your work? Um, that I can learn, right? Um, I told you at the beginning that I didn't come to the world professional world with a huge set of skills, right? Um, I had some strong ones, but they were limited and they were not designed for the world of business uh, at all, right? Um, and I discovered that with, I mean, this is cliche, but with persistence and resilience, yes, but also by harnessing what I do have, I was able to compensate for what I don't. Right. For example, uh, I know that my Pan-African passion and knowledge has played a crucial role in all my recruitments. I mean, in all the jobs that I got. I imagine that when I was being compared to other candidates for these roles, um, that that made a difference. Right. So these jobs were all had a Pan-African remit. But uh, and the other candidates were also African, but perhaps not with the same level of passion and knowledge, right? So you can harness things that you never imagined would would matter later. So it's really about, as you said, it's about self awareness and really realizing what is uh, what can be used. Yeah. Uh, uh, one other thing. Sorry. Um, yeah. No. Go ahead. Yeah. It, one other thing that I've learned is that, and it's not a very positive thing. <laughs> uh, so I worked for multinationals only, right? I've ne almost never worked for a small company, definitely no startup in my background. What does that say about me and my desire for safety, right? Um, uh, it, it appears that uh, I'm not really a risk taker since I always go for the, you know, companies that are big and established, et cetera, et cetera. I'd like to change that someday um, and venture on my own, uh, take risks. Um, 
not be not have the backing of a solid structure behind me oh wow thank you so much for your vulnerability and and self-awareness there the next question actually taps back into in, into that strength of yours so i'm curious what does happiness mean to you and what is your ongoing relationship like with happiness hmm yeah yeah happiness is community um i experienced this in my life but it's also proven by countless uh research around the world you may have heard of the long- longitudinal study that was done at harvard with uh a group of men that were followed from the 1930s until you know they 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 got old and died one by one these are people with very different outcomes in their lives uh some were rich some were not rich some got married some didn't some you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but the ones that were happy had one thing in common and that is a strong community around them so um this is what i tell my children and all my friends be very deliberate about building uh, a community of family friends like-minded people and even broadening that uh to beyond community is also about the scary the security guard in your building and you building a relationship with that person uh it is it's about the ceo that you meet in a lift and build building community uh, relationship with that person it's the network uh not in the you know sharky networking sense it's i mean i mean this in the sense of uh yes the people around you from all, they need to be from all sorts of economic um uh le- levels for, with a variety of points of view etc so yes that is happiness having that is what i strive for that's awesome i i think i'm particularly grateful for you know the the community that i have around me and shout out to yuri bonifes who are are a core part of that you know and you know you find that sometimes you know no matter what you're going through you know if you have people to rely on people to um look up to walk with it just changes the whole dynamic of of your circumstances and your view on life so thanks thanks for that and thanks for bringing that to light um we've got into the bottom of the building you know we our bedroom is at the top of you know burj khalifa so like don't don't be surprised <laughs> uh, guys that's that that's why this took long uh, it's a very tall building uh, we we own all <laughs> floors of it uh, so yeah uh, well that's exactly what i wish you guys thank you so much for inviting me i want to make a prediction with yes. the community that the three of you have with the incredible self reflection and wisdom that you are showing at this young age wow i really i'm very curious to see uh where you guys will go i can tell it's very very far it is not just my wish it's my conviction wow thank you so much justine for that and to be honest you know it's it's guests like yourselves that really build us because when we sit down and we listen to this conversation again we are continuously learning and and improving on who we are So we're definitely privileged to have people like you who come on the podcast and you know that means that you're on our team. 
So with that, we actually come to the end of our conversation. And listeners, if you have been tuned in this far, it means that you have been learning just as we have and you have enjoyed the time and presence of our lovely guest, Jocelyn. Jocelyn has taught us a lot about what does it mean to be a young African with stories to tell and what does it mean to have the platforms that enable us to do so? How do we engage with the technology that allows these very stories to be put out there in these platforms? Then looking at how can we have a more multidimensional view on what's happening around us and who we are. And so with that, Jocelyn, we just want to say we've learned a lot and we really appreciate your time here. And with that, we just want to say thank you and we wish you all the best with your future endeavors. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Yuri. Thank you, Boniface.